0: Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell.
0: What's up, Pelicans fans? A special two-part episode today featuring the former host of Locked On Pelicans, as well as former writer for The Advocate. The man who waited at work just to appear on this show—it's the Oklahoman's Brett Dawson. What's going on, sir?
2: I—you know—I hung out in the office just—just just for studio time, and then I ended up not really needing a studio. I could be doing this at home <laughs> on the phone because of this—the uh, this system that we're using. So it's—but it's going great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. I'm so uh, grateful to have you again. We had him a couple of months ago. Uh, he actually came down to New Orleans to watch the Pelicans fight the thunder. So it's good to have him back. I know Jake Madison had you on the podcast. Hi,
1: this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact
2: CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California,
0: 94404. A big friend to New Orleans. Happy to hear your voice again, sir. Uh, first off, do you mind talking Pelicans from a moment before we dive into the thunder?
2: Sure, I'm going to write some Pelicans. I think I'm going to write a story for the advocate tomorrow, actually. So.
0: Are you serious? Um,
2: just some reaction. Yeah, I think I think maybe just some reaction to the, uh, the trade because they'll be here in Oklahoma City. Um, and the Thunder is in uh, Denver tonight, and my beat writing partner, Eric Horn, is there. So I'm here, um, and I'll be in Oklahoma City so I could get over to, uh, to Pelican shoot-around tomorrow if they have shoot-around in the morning, and if not, get them pregame and just kind of get some reaction stuff because the advocate won't have anybody here in Oklahoma City. So I think I'm going to give them a hand there.
0: Excellent stuff. That's really nice. I'm sure Scott and uh, Christian will appreciate that. Again, you guys can follow him at B Dawson Writes. And, of course, the news that's on the tips of everybody's tongue is Adrian Wojnarowski's report. He first reported two days ago that the trade had fallen apart, and here it is completed. It's uh, Nikola Meretic and the Pelicans' own 2018 second-round pick coming back. That, of course, was involved in the Quincy Pondexter dump last season. And in exchange, the Bulls take on Omar Ashik's remaining year plus that $3 guarantee in 2000. 19. Tony Allen, Jameer Nelson, and a first-round pick. The first year is top five protected, then top eight protected in 19, and then finally unprotected in 2020. Uh, first of all, Brett, what was your reaction to this trade, and would you grade it for us?
2: Well, I you know, I don't know the Pelicans well enough to grade it, just to have a sense of how that fit is going to be with Miritich. Um, I know he's played very well for the Bulls. I think it's a good good addition for the Pelicans just to kind of, particularly after the Cousins thing, obviously this is a team that's going to have to retool a little bit on the fly. Um, I think it's a good move. I never really thought that the, the odds were good of, of getting off the Oshik contract, um, and I think it's probably worth attaching that, that pick to do it. Uh, and I think that's what you're balancing there when you're making a trade like that. Is it worth giving up that pick um, to get off the Ashik contract? And obviously they're going to have some salary cap implications to the the off season. Um, they're going to want to try to re-sign DeMarcus Cousins. Obviously, we don't know what that's going to look like in terms of years or value anymore, given the injury and the sort of uncertain status um, of his re- rehab and recovery from that. Um, I, I think it's a good move. I think Miritich is a nice player. Um, I think the Pelicans could use a guy to stretch the floor the way he does. Um, so I, I, I like the idea of of adding a guy like that while you get off that Asha contract.
0: Yeah, thank you for that sir. And you mentioned uncertain status and you guys have your own bit of uncertainty in Oklahoma right now in the body of Paul George. A lot of people going into the city, the the trade was initially for Victor uh, Oladipo who is now an All-Star as well as Dom- Dom- I can't do this. says Dom- <laughs> Sabonis who is also playing well over there. And now you're at this quandary where the trade deadline is rapidly approaching. It's on February 8th and of course you want Paul George to stay. You want that clarity at a potential uh pay bill of 5 years and 176 million dollars adding to a payroll that could increase up to between 250 and $300 million with those deals to Robertson Westbrook. Carmelo is almost certain to opt into the final year of his contract, Steven Adams and more. What, what is the pulse in Oklahoma in terms of if you expect Paul George to come back, obviously you don't expect any action on his going in or out of town at this point uh, before the trade deadline, right?
2: No, he he won't be traded. He will, he will be here through the end of this season. Um, there's no question about that. And then, and then we'll see, I, I think, the idea of a pulse on a free agent uh, in February to me is kind of, it's worthless. There's no sense of anything until he can actually be a free agent until he can consider other teams. Um, You know, I don't put a whole lot of stock in, in, I don't think anything meaningful ever really happens in January, February um, as it relates to somebody's free agency. So, you know, I think Paul's a guy who's going to sit down at the end of the season. I think he's, I think he's enjoyed his time here. My understanding is that, um, you know, he's been always been very open-minded to the idea of staying here. Um, I think there's going to be a limited number of options in terms of teams that have cap space and, and are going to be able to make a run at him and not all those options are going to be, be great options. So I, my expectation is that I think the most likely scenario at this point is that Paul signs something short to stay here, a one plus something along those lines. That would be my expectation right now. But That's a guess. I mean, we're all guessing because this idea that we have any real sense of what a guy's going to do or what a guy's thinking based on like like public comments he makes or just what you hear or whatever. All that stuff is kind of meaningless. If you had asked everybody in Oklahoma City this time of year uh, before Kevin Durant left, I think most people would have told you he was going to stay. So I don't put a whole lot of stock in like, you know, like like. Taking the pulse or having a stock a stock report, you know, on, on Paul George coming or going or whatever, but he won't be traded at the deadline.
0: I don't think there's any chance of that. The Thunder's going to ride this out and going to make its best pitch. If you don't mind if I go off script for a bit, you mentioned a one-plus-one sure. as being a possibility, and uh, that's that's something we're seeing more and more of in the NBA right now, and I'm speaking, of course, about LeBron James, Chris Paul, DeMarcus Cousins this offseason said to probably take something around a one-plus-one or potentially a two-plus-one so that he can get back on the market for that 10-year supermax, which is somewhere around, I think, five years, $207 million, I think, is what Steph Curry uh, signed this offseason. And now you're mentioning Paul George. We've just seen uh, two days ago, Blake Griffin, You know, they, they hung up his jersey in the Raptors, they Him lifelong clipper and uh something about six to eight months later he's on his way to detroit and how these five-year contracts though they come loaded with guaranteed money they kind of take power away from a player uh even steph curry didn't get a no trade clause take talk a bit about your take on on why a lot of these guys are opting to go shorter term money uh and and more power as far as determining where they're located and and what city they want to be in Well, I mean, I think you answered your question, Preston. That's why they're doing it. They're doing it for flexibility and saying where
2: they are and say in their situations, look at LeBron James right now. He came back to Cleveland. He got to a finals right away. Uh, He won a title for the city that, you know, everybody thought might never win one. Um, But look at their situation now. Look where they are in terms of their roster. Look where they are with the the defense that they've played lately, the way that they've played lately, his apparent unhappiness. And I'm not going to speak to, you know, anything about LeBron James' state of mind, but the idea that he would be locked in long-term in a situation like that is, is not appealing to a star player. So, you know, I think what this does is gives those guys the flexibility to re, sort of reevaluate their situations in more short-term, you know, uh, in, in more of a short-term viewpoint. You get a year, um, then you have your options. You can come back, you can opt in and take another year and then explore your options again. You can opt out and either have some flexibility. Look at Kevin Durant, he signed for a little less so the Warriors could put together a team that he wanted to have put together. Just uh, having these opt-outs gives you so much flexibility in terms of trying to build a situation where you can win. And here's the the thing about these superstar players. They're going to be judged on winning games. They all know this. And so, you know, the, the unfortunate thing for a player is you're kind of in a no-win situation. If you jump around team to team, you're going to be criticized. If you don't win enough, you're going to be criticized. These guys are trying to find the happy medium there. And the best way to do that is to kind of examine a team year by year and see what the roster is going to look like and see what your other options are.
0: Now, it's unfortunate the way that these deals have affected players like Isaiah Thomas and Blake Griffin, who, you know, wanted that stability and didn't end up getting it. But when you talk about guys like Paul George and LeBron James and Kevin Durant, more often than not, taking that one-year it gives power to the individual player, it creates uncertainty with the franchise. And you're seeing the Pelicans' hesitancy to deal that number one pick, although they ultimately did. The Cavaliers, likewise, holding on to that Brooklyn pick for dear life. While while it creates more power for the individual player, do you think it grants, I don't know, more long-term success for the franchise for a player to exude that power? Obviously, they have the right. I'm just asking you, do you think that it actually benefits everyone involved? Well, I don't think the player has that much of a look at the, you know, I don't know how much the player's is looking at the
2: franchise, but look at it this way. If a player signs a five-year extension um, and then something happens, his health deteriorates, his game deteriorates, Now the franchise is in a bad spot there as well. So there's no real perfect scenario Um, in any case, uh, the team or the player can be hamstrung by a long-term deal. So there is some downside for the franchise. Certainly you have uncertainty, you know, Paul George could theoretically, and like, again, I want to, man, I got to stress this every time I go on a podcast or talk (laughs) every time I, I have a conversation, I'm not reporting in any way that Paul George is going to do a one plus one. That is not at all what I'm saying. But if he did that, You'd have another situation next year where, where, as a franchise, if you're Oklahoma City, you go through this whole year where you don't know again. You have uncertainty going into the off season Cleveland is doing that now. Um, you're going to have these uncertainties. And so, yeah, that, that is tricky, and that's a difficult thing to navigate. But uh, so is the idea of having a guy lock into a contract. Look at Omer Asik. Look how hard it's been to move off that contract. You've known every year what was going to happen with
0: Omer. He was going to come back, and you weren't going to be happy to have him there. And so that's sort of the, the flip side of those long-term deals. No, definitely. I just think it's so interesting how a one plus one becomes almost a more viable option at this point in the landscape of the NBA than just taking the guaranteed money up front. That was such a given, I don't know, just 10 years ago. And now the the tables have have turned on it. And and like you said, it it, it doesn't include everyone, just specific uh, instances. But let's get along. Thank you for walking down that path with me. Let's get back to the Thunder and to Clay Bennett and just your own personal opinion. Do you think he's willing at this point to go into the into the luxury tax this offseason? I don't know. I mean, uh, I think so. I think that they're going to do
2: what they can do to to be a competitor and to be a player. And in this day and age, that's kind of what you have to do. There are probably going to be more teams in the tax than not the way this thing is progressing. Um, The Thunder has not traditionally paid it, um, but I think. One way of looking at the way the Thunder has approached it, some people look at the Thunder and say, well, that team's never paid the tax. They're not going to pay this to to keep Paul George and keep this team together. Another way of looking at it is the Thunder's had great success um, and been a really one of the elite franchises in the league without having to do that. So now maybe the times have changed, and you do have to do it. You've built up a certain degree of equity you haven't had to pay in. You've had all these years where you haven't had to pay the tax. There was one exception in there, and that was not – A significant tax like next year would be, Um, but I I do think that they they look at it from all perspectives. They got to look at they're going to balance probably um, you know they're going to balance what's best for the franchise. But I think they're also going to take into account that they've had great success without paying it. Um, And and if you end up having to pay it now, you've gotten a long you've gotten off a long time without having to do it. So, you know, um, this is much like the Paul George situation. I think it's dangerous to say like I think he'll do this or I think he'll do that because we don't know we don't know the inner workings of like what what Clay Bennett's conversations are like with Sam Presti, and and uh, you know what what Clay Bennett's thinking about financially and long term, those things are so involved, and so it's to like casually say I think he will or I think he won't isn't really fair. Um, that said, they have shown a commitment to be good. Um, that's what they've done here. They've always done what you have to do to be good and win games, um, and I think now the new reality is that you probably have to pay into the tax to be good, and so. I would look at it as another thing you have to do to be competitive and they've done everything so far that you're supposed to do to be competitive um you know so I would expect they'll at least take that they will at least strongly consider it
0: now the Pelicans are facing that that same reality going into this offseason, of course, with the Miritich deal and potentially bringing back DeMarcus Cousins. Another thing they share in common with the Oklahoma City Thunder was a pretty disastrous injury this past weekend. Of course, DeMarcus Cousins with his Achilles uh, ruptured and Andre Robertson with his ruptured patella tendon. How is that going to affect the Oklahoma City Thunder going forward? Well, it certainly affects them defensively.
2: I mean, they they, they built a team with, uh, whether, like like, whether you think they can beat the warriors that's not my contention that they're the best team in the in the in the NBA built to beat the warriors but they built a team with that in mind certainly they they built a team they put Paul George on a team uh with Andre Robertson so that they would have two of the best wing defenders in the league they wanted an elite defensive team uh, on the perimeter and that's what they tried to build and certainly Robertson is an enormous part of that he's He's, I think, almost an undervalued defender because he's so limited offensively that people kind of – even here, there are people who don't appreciate, I think, what he does. Um, they're going to start to appreciate it because the Thunder's defense has already struggled a little bit lately as its offense has really taken off. Um, and, and without him, it just – his his being out there frees them up to do so many different things. It lets Paul George freelance in ways that make him really a, a, a deadly guy in terms of playing passing lanes um, and, and – He's, he was leading, He and Westbrook are kind of battling to lead the league in steals. So much of what those guys are able to do is because of how sound they are with Robertson. Robertson allows you to switch so many different things. He's just such a versatile guy. So they will miss all that. Uh, you know, they may try to address some of that at the at the trade deadline or on the buyout market or whatever. But it will be very difficult. Billy Diamond said the other day. If you lose a guy that scores 25 points a game, you can't just go out and fix that. You don't just go get a guy who scores 25. You don't suddenly make up 25 points with one guy. Everybody has to make up a little bit. So they'll try to find some ways to improve defensively across the board, but they won't find a
0: guy like Robertson. I think you need to uh, pump your brakes on that, not being able to replace the guy because the Pelicans are just about to replace 100% of DeMarcus Cousins with Meritich and Greg Monroe. I'm I'm kidding, of course. Uh, a bit of late-breaking news. Uh, Paul George, of course, uh, replacing DeMarcus Cousins in the All-Star game. And Goran Dragic is now announced to be replacing Kevin Love. Uh, just some, uh, you mentioned buyout candidates possibly bring, being brought in to replace Andre Robertson. Tony Allen has said to be, uh, had have been cut by the Chicago Bulls. In this trade, do you think they'd have any interest in bringing him in to possibly do a bit of what Robertson does? I
2: I don't know. I don't know how they feel about him. I don't know what their uh, the Thunder is a um, it's a it's an organization that is really keyed in on fit, um, and it's really all about how guys fit with the guys that they have. It's about personalities. They build a team uh, with very careful thought about a lot of things. It's not just like this guy has this skill, so let's plug him in. Um, and that's that's part of the reason they've had such success. I mean, they really do think about these things. Um, and, and I don't know that they feel badly about Tony Allen. I say this all the time. And and whenever I, I have that sort of uh, preamble, people think, oh, he's saying he, they don't like Tony Allen. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying I don't know how they feel about him. And they will evaluate all these things about every player. He's not. Obviously, you guys saw him in New Orleans. He's not the defender he once was. He's still a pest. He still can create some problems. I don't know how much, you know, especially because I don't know the extent of his injury, I don't know how much teams can depend on him or or expect uh, out of him at this point in terms of his minutes or whatever. Um, But, look, he's an Oklahoma State guy. He's obviously, over the course of his career, been a very good defender. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were looking at him, but I I do think that evaluation process is a lot more than, um, oh, like Tony Allen's on the market, let's pick that up and see how that goes.
0: All right, let's talk uh, briefly about what the Thunder have been up to lately. Of course, they were beaten by the Wizards, Sam's John Wall, closed out on a 12-2 run in the final two minutes. But before that, the Thunder had won eight games in a row. Talk about the current state of the Thunder.
2: Yeah, they've just been a really over that, particularly over that eight-game stretch, they've just been an an unbelievable offense. They've been sort of an unstoppable offense. Over the course of that, I think over that period of time, Maybe it was the last five games of that, but they've been the number one rated offense uh, in the league over a, a, a fairly prolonged period of time, and they're in a their top three or four since the start of December, maybe five. But they've been, you know, they scored 148 on Cleveland, and Cleveland's defense is not good. We've seen Cleveland struggle, but 148, I don't care who you're playing, is, a, it is, is an impressive regulation number in the NBA. Uh, Paul George has shot the ball really well. I think he's gotten comfortable kind of figuring out where his shots are going to come from. Carmelo Anthony has been up and down a little, but he's sort of settled into a role um, that he's he's playing well, which is being more of a catch-and-shoot. You know, the guy they, they wanted to get when they got him was this the idea that they would get kind of Olympic mellow, the guy who would play off of other guys, who would be a spot-up, a catch-and-shoot, a trailer on the break, shooting threes. You know, he was two for 12 from three against the Wizards. And Billy Donovan said after the game, thrilled, thrilled to get him 12. 12 pretty good looks. He'll shoot better than that more often than not when you get him those. And that's what they want. They want him to shoot 10 threes a game. Um, they want him playing that way offensively. And then on top of all that, Stephen Adams has really blossomed this year. Um, he's, he's, he's never going to be a high level. Like He's not going to post up. You're not going to throw the ball to him to score. But he's become increasingly good in the pick and roll. Uh, he's really developed his sort of floater that allows him to not have to get all the way to the rim in the pick and roll to score. That's changed the way defenses have to react to him. You now have to account for that shot. And then Westbrook is Westbrook. And then, you know, if you look at Westbrook since the start of December, he had a bad shooting game against Washington. Going into that game uh, from the start of December until that night, he was shooting 46%. That's a great percentage for him, obviously, because it's, you know, it's it's well above what he's traditionally going to shoot. He's cut his three-point attempts way down. Um, You know, I think he's, he's found sort of a rhythm where he plays his game. He's very aggressive. He attacks the rim. He shoots, you know, sort of his money shot, that that uh, mid-range, you know, 15 to 20-footer. Um, he's done all that and been very aggressive, and yet not at the expense, for the most part, of Paul George, Carmelo, Anthony. They've just figured out a lot of things offensively, and that's made them, you know, their defense with and without Robertson had slipped uh, in recent weeks. But they've just, they've been able to outscore people.
0: Yeah, they've been playing really well lately. Uh, are you nervous looking back at the Portland Trail Blazers, right in your right behind you? your two games behind the Timberwolves. Where do you think the Thunder end up uh, at the end of the season? No, I, I'm not nervous. All I do is cover the team.
2: I don't know how they <laughs> feel about those guys. I, I don't think they, you know, they don't. I don't think they watch the scoreboard a whole lot. They're aware of kind of where they are uh, and who's there. You know, they're, they're these are veteran guys, um, but they are a team that's. And I think you find this more with um, sort of veteran teams that have played a bunch of games they are concerned with themselves they're concerned with how do they play the best they can play and if they play their best i think they feel confident that they're going to be really good and be in any playoff series regardless of kind of what happens with the standings and i think that's true of, of good experienced teams they feel like get into the playoffs playing your best um and obviously home court matters and all that kind of stuff but those guys will be confident um if the way they've played lately, um, you know, we'll see what they do at the deadline. But I think they're going to be in the mix to be at four. Um, I think they have a chance to climb as high as three. Uh, you know, but if they get into a four or five and they play Minnesota, it's funny. A lot of people say, well, they don't want to play Minnesota because Minnesota won the, the regular season series three to one. But three of those games came right down to the wire. They match up pretty well with Minnesota. Honestly, I don't get the idea that just because Minnesota won a bunch of close games in the, in the uh, particularly some of them early in the season, that that's suddenly a bad matchup. It's not particularly a bad matchup, but they, they are pretty evenly matched teams, I think, um, and I think they'll feel good in in any first round series, just because they they have a team I think that's sort of built to be in the playoffs now. Without Robertson, it's it's not built quite the same way, and we'll see what they kind of look like when they get to playoff time, what their roster looks like, what their you know how they're starting games and how they're finishing, what their you know who their fifth kind of starter and or finisher. I don't think it'll always be the same person. Um, you know, we'll have a much better sense then of what they are. But you know, I think they're going to have a chance. They'll have a chance to climb as high as three. I don't think they'll fall much below four. Um, You know, ultimately, when it's all said and done, I would expect them to settle somewhere in that three, four, five range.
0: Fred, always so generous with your time. Thank you so much. Again, you guys can follow him at B Dawson rides Before I let you go, uh, obviously you guys are on the second night of a back-to-back. You're playing at Denver tonight. You've got Steven Adams matched up against Anthony Davis. Last time it was DeMarcus Cousins getting the bulk of those minutes, although he was ejected early after an errant elbow to Russell Westbrook. They're not going to have anything like that to motivate them this time. I think they were trailing 76-72 to 72 at the time before ending up winning 114-107. Uh, to 107. There it is in front of me. So they're not going to have that as a motivating factor. They're going to have Uh, Some minutes to Miritich. uh, No idea how much he'll be playing or if he'll be starting or if they'll choose to put Ashik against Adams. But with all these storylines in mind, how do you think the Thunder end up faring on the second night of their back-to-back? Well, it's really hard to say. You
2: know, this is not just the second night of a back-to-back for them. It's going to be the fifth straight game where they've changed time zones. So they went uh, Eastern-Central, Eastern-Mountain-Central will be the the way this goes by the time it's all said and done. And that's all from Saturday to Friday, so it's in the span of a week. Um, That's a late game with the Nuggets. So, you know, my inclination is to say that that's a a tough game to win tomorrow night against the Pelicans just because it's the end of that whole streak. Um, On the other hand, you know, the Pelicans haven't won a game without Cousins, obviously. They I wouldn't expect them to have a full roster tomorrow, still. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of a toss up. I think it's a coin flip game um, against another opponent on another night. I kind of would expect the Thunder to lose this game. And if I'm if I'm being honest, I kind of think they'll lose. As it is, the Pelicans are well rested, and the Thunder will be obviously, I think, pretty tired. But you know, this is a team that's they're five and four on the second night of a back to back, which is a little surprising given some of the teams they've played and given kind of the age on the legs of their starters. Um, So, you know, it's certainly not a given that they'll lose um, playing at home to a New Orleans team that I think they match up with pretty well. Um, But I I do think the, the rest factor is a huge, huge advantage for the Pelicans.
0: Well, if we're following the pattern of the New Orleans Pelicans this month, the Pelicans come out really strong the first and second quarters. I think they're the top scoring offense in both of those. And then uh, the third quarter has been pretty disastrous this month. We call it the third quarter where they're actually 24th in scoring. They go from first in the first half to 24th in the third. They just go cold every single night. So if the Thunder are going to make any traction and run away with this one, it's probably going to be early on in the second half. But for our sake, we hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) The
2: third quarter has
0: been a, Third quarter's been a really bad spot for the Thunder all
2: year, too. Uh, They've had some games where that's been the exception. Um, But for the most part, they've really struggled coming out in the third quarter. That has been the quarter that's really done them in in a lot of games, Um, particularly against some of the teams that yeah, I would would say New Orleans at home falls into a category, taking away the back-to-back element, New Orleans at home falls into the category of teams they should beat. Um, And they've lost a lot of games this year to teams they should beat. And often uh, when they do that, that third quarter has been a big part
0: of the reason why. So they have that in common. It'll be the battle of the third quarter. The Pelicans in the past two weeks have scored 9, 10, and 15 points in the third quarter, so hopefully uh, we can fare better against the Thunder tomorrow night. Uh, again, Brett, thanks so much, man. Nice dude, always makes himself available. In case you guys have forgotten all about him, he used to cover the Pelicans as host to Locked on Pels as well as writer for hire mercenary uh, for The Advocate, and you can follow his work again for The Advocate tomorrow potentially. Follow him at B Dawson BDawsonWrites, and Brett, you have your own pot Thunder buddies, am I right? Correct. We do one after every single game. So we will do one
2: uh, after the uh, the Pelicans game on Friday night. So we'll be talking a little bit. I don't know how much Pelicans will talk, but we, uh, we definitely will have a podcast because um, we do one post game every
0: single night excellent stuff uh now stay tuned Pel's fans tonight we'll be we'll be doing reactions on the meritage uh potential monroe news with kevin barrios and kumar of bourbon street shots as always subscribe rate the pod thank you to brett thank you to the oklahoman for letting us borrow him and hey let's go pals You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today.
1: And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online.
0: Please be the cheetah.
1: Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, You could have used those 15 Blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.
0: I can't believe it.
1: That Gerald is presenting the quarterly
0: budget report with finger puppets. Look!
1: Here comes a 1.7%
2: decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody!
1: No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO
2: are you the projected increase in organic q3 revenue
1: hooray believe it geico could save you 15 percent or more on car insurance
0: some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with allstate not one based on carol she's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in
1: front of her why pay a rate based on anyone else get one based on you with drivewise from allstate